Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Is she safe? Is she alright? With your host, Pete. Uh, you know, you must be destroyed and, and uh, you must fail so I can win and all that sort of thing. And Greg. Hello, what have we here? And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Yeah, you're all mad at me, right? But there's one thing you better know, and that is, I love all of you. And this is Hindsight is 2020, where tonight we're going to be looking at the Star Wars prequels. We're going to start off by saying, here's what an episode one of Star Wars should have been if they were insistent on being made. And what better way and what better franchise, really, in recent history to start us out with? Exactly, because if hindsight tells us anything, it's that these three movies were just not good. With High expectations? Yeah, spo- uh, hang on, spoiler alert, these whoa, were not whoa. good. <laughs> They're not good at all. Uh, so um for the purposes of this evening i will be the floating air conditioned floating over the lava droid from episode three and i'll be grando calrissian aka sir not appearing in this film (laughs) (laughs) so uh, we're gonna dive right in And, And, and he's greg and i'm pete by the way full disclosure we've already recorded one of these before and we're redoing it so we're gonna go back over some things that's that how much done. needed to be cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, we're going to look at this from a couple of steps. First steps. Let's tell the folks at home or in their ears or in their cars or wherever they might be partaking oh, of man. this magical audio gold. Where do we come from in Star Wars history? Person, What's your personal experience with Star Wars? We'll, we'll start with you, Grando. Okay, well, uh, I would be the, the hardcore fan, uh, out of the two of us, I suppose you could put it. Uh, very, very much grew up with Star Wars, my first uh, kind of interaction with it. Literally on the big screen was uh, my older sister and I, my parents had taken us out to the good old drive through movies, uh, drive-in movies, and we were sitting there watching some Disney film and we were getting kind of bored with it. We were in the back of the car, the parents were up in the front, and uh, one of the two of us looked over, and you could see the uh, top of the screen across the dividing wall in the in the other lot, and that caught our attention, and it was a uh, scene with uh, everybody in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, and we started paying more attention to that until uh, Mom and Dad noticed that we weren't really um, paying any attention whatsoever to <laughs> the movie we were supposed to be watching and do you recall what that movie was you were supposed to be watching i like i said it was some disney movie i don't remember it was some some animated film i did beyond that i don't recall but um yeah i mean that was literally the first time that uh we saw anything to do with star wars i had a lot of the toys going back all the way to uh when they were releasing the first run of uh toys i think it was around Empire Strikes Back where they the demand outpaced uh the production 
And so you would go to the store and you would buy a package and it would say, bring this back for the toy. <laughs> yeah, that was the original. Here's some, here's some empty air. <laughs> that was the original Christmas of 77 they did that. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, so played with the toys, uh, watched the goofy cartoons, saw both of the uh, original sequels uh, two times at least in the movie theater. That was, you know, the great big treat. And um, I honestly, as a kid, thought the reason that movie theaters existed was to show Star Wars movies. So yes, yeah, I was I was just that slick, because um, <laughs> that that seemed to be the big event to me. And then like when they would release other stuff and we'd go to it, it would be like, Whoa, they show other stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> So so you obviously were hip deep into it from a very young age with knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see, my experience is a little bit different. I was actually born in 77, so this movie was in the movie theaters for about two months before I was born. So I obviously have no recollection of seeing it during the first run. And being a part of all that pandemonium, but I, I have a little bit of a different experience. Whereas you seem to have the from the get go and permanent uh, passion for it, I have I could almost pick out a a segment of my life that was Star Wars true fandom, and I have a beginning, a middle, and an end. To my Star Wars true fandom, and it's very, very odd and awkward. I grew up with three older brothers; they were big time into it because they were obviously able to see the, the movies in the movie theater. I have memories of the toys being around. I have very fleeting memories. You know, those those memories of a tri- when you're really, really young. You have certain memories that are almost just very fleeting images, and that's the way Star Wars was for me. Um, I have memories of the first movie just existing, not really having any idea what it was. I just knew of it. Uh, for some reason, my brain always latched on to, if somebody said Star Wars, I wouldn't have any context, but my brain would always go to the Luke and Leia swinging over the cavern in the Death Star scene as the image I'd have in my brain when somebody would say Star Wars, but I wouldn't go any further than that. Um, I actually do have a very, very early memory of being a little crying brat who had to be taken out of the movie theater when The Empire Strikes Back was playing. So I have a very, very, very flashing split-second memory of standing outside the door, double doors to the movie theater being a crying, blubbery mess while the Imperial March was playing inside. So I have that memory. So Vader with his mask off, and it was too much. There you go. <laughs> no, I think it was. It had to have been Empire or a re-release of it or something. I'm not sure, but I didn't come to it until I was in high school, when I was in spring plays with a bunch of guys who were beyond hardcore. I mean, these were the type of guys that if we did not live in the Midwest, they would probably be at Comic Con before it was fashionable to be at Comic Con every year. So I fell into it that way, watched them all on VHS, and got hooked that way. And 
I was a fan ever, you know, uh, from that moment forward. You know, we're talking early 90s to a pretty definitive end fairly recently, which we'll get into. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I do have a kind of a beginning, middle, and end with my passion of Star Wars. And there's still some remnants there. It's, it's, It's all good, but I kind of burn it out of my system. Yeah. All right, so we come up to... Yeah, mid nineties and this is pre internet days, kids, or early internet that wasn't really where we are now. So yeah, this, it's a very different world. <laughs> so this would be something like going to the mall, going to a bookstore, seeing magazines and seeing George Lucas writing the new Star Wars movies. Holy crap. And this would be ninety four, ninety five, ninety three, yep. ninety six. And that would be everybody's, uh, of, of the fan base's kind of reaction was, holy crap, it's actually happening. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're going to have new Star Wars movies. He's going to go back, and he's going to tell these stories. And and how could he not tell them right? Exactly. The man and, was a god. And we're going to give you a spoiler alert on our own <laughs> podcast. We're doing the best we can to figure out what movies would have satiated that burning desire of our 1995 selves that we obviously did not get (laughs) at all. So that's the point of this little excursion, this little uh, experiment, is to see if we can actually, based on what we know strictly from the first three Star Wars movies, can we come up with something better than what was given to us in 1999, 2002, and 2005. That's our goal. And and to be fair, the fires had been stoked and everything by a series of books written by Timothy Zahn that followed. Uh, it was a, a seven, eight, and nine kind of versions uh, after that were set after Return of the Jedi and had played out and had been well received and everything. So, uh, you know, with that. With the original three films and then the, these follow-up books being good and everything, people just said, wow, this is just going to be amazing. Yeah, and bingo with the, uh, the the thing we can read into with that is the books that represent 7, 8, and 9 written by not George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so that's what we're going to come down to is the... the Somebody needs to take this premise and right roll with it, not have him be be a control freak and burn it completely into the ground and then poop on it. So that's and, what and for and for those of you who are unfamiliar with kind of the production history with the first three films, uh, we're talking about four, five, and six. Uh, Lucas uh, wrote the screenplay, the original ideas, obviously for the first movie, directed it. Uh, and then after that, he did not direct the two sequels. Uh, and he ha- had uh, writing partners for the screenplays. He was not, you know, alone at the helm on these things. Yeah, he. It, you almost look at it in the vernacular now where we're in this new golden age of uh, television where you have a full television season is that, and so many great television series that run on he almost ran it like a television show early on. He was the creator of the show. He wrote the pilot episode, which would be Star Wars, the original. And then 
handed it off and other people directed it and other people took the ideas and spun it off with better writing and created Empire and Jedi and that was great but shaped molded the world the characters and then 15 years passed and he became an ultimate control freak and that went right out the window and we see what happened yes (laughs) (laughs) so all right let let me i'll throw one out at you here all right go so you you being the casual you know more casual fan and everything like that you're we're going back and revisiting your 1994 1995 self and hey guess what george lucas is working on writing the next uh three star wars films are going to be set before the originals where does your brain go what are you expecting what are you hoping for that's what we've been trying to struggle with it for the last few days is where I'm just saying off the cuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, off where, the cuff. what, what, what were you hoping for? What did you, what did you want to see? I mean, like what everybody else, what was the golden age of the Jedi and what was the, uh, ultimate reasoning for Darth Vader, uh, and how he became Darth Vader and how he, had a falling out with Obi-Wan and how he got separated from the kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the basic things. And obviously right in there, I did not say the words Qui-Gon. I did not say the words <laughs> Padme. I did not say the word Naboo, Gungan. I, I said none of that. did not exist. <laughs> exactly. uh, I don't, I don't believe other than a stray mention of it here and then there, we had the title of Darth Vader being the dark Lord of the Sith, but that was it. Uh, yeah, there was no Sith mythology, but and but also this being twenty twenty hindsight, we have to also temper this a little bit by, and this is maybe a disclaimer. We're not crapping on anyone who spent years of their life putting hard work into something, because it's more than what we've done at this point <laughs> to achieve <laughs> something. We're sitting here recording podcasts in Ohio, right? So we, our goal is not to unzip and take a big dump on somebody's work that was hard work. Our goal is to look at something that was a a huge attempt at something, and oftentimes, as is the case in the world, you make a big attempt at something, you swing really, really hard for the fences. More times than not, you're going to strike out gloriously and our goal is to look at this and say all right these three movies seem to be a big time strikeout i mean this this was a strikeout it was strike one strike two strike three sit down (laughs) so (laughs) what we're looking at is okay because this is kind of a writing exercise for us we're going to look at this and we're going to say okay well can we do any better if somebody says reboot this sucker if somebody comes to us in 10 years and says, we're going to redo Star Wars and we want you to pitch your ideas, okay, well, here's what we're going to do to make better than what we got the Star Wars prequels. And so we're not intending on crapping on what his, what all these people worked on. We're just trying to make it better. We're trying to say there's a germ of an excellent story here what's the best way to extract what people really want to see and what's really interesting about it. So the hindsight point that comes in with Star Wars is if you ask me what what I expected in 1995, 
Well, we do have to put the hindsight glasses on and say prequels were not in that was vogue. was a new term. <laughs> this was the first prequel, which now everybody has a prequel to something. Everybody has, you know, here's a random story of a movie in the mid-'80s. Well, let's see what happened before that. Let's make uh, a prequel. It, it's so it's so prevalent anymore in the lexicon that the other day when I was texting you about this, the uh, phone, I uh, hadn't gotten through spelling it, and it's like, prequel? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to type prequel? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so if we're going to truly say what was my mindset hoping for, we also have to realize that this was the first major instance of a prequel. Yeah, this was uh, an experiment. I mean, there was there's the Godfather, Godfather Two. I mean, that could technically be called a prequel, where you're going back to see the Godfather, you know, in the past. But there, are, this is really the first time it was brought to the forefront of, oh, really? We can do that. We have a story, but we can go back and tell you how the story began. So that's that's where we're at here. So yeah, that was that was basically my mindset and if you put me in 1995, because that's when I was just starting to be in the heat of really entrenching all things Star Wars. Was that okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll add in a couple of things that I wanted to see or expected to see in this. Go for it. Okay, I will go for it. it. <laughs> you certainly did. Go for it. What, all was, right, what did um, you want? It's 1995. Well, You're 1995. Uh, I will echo most of what you have already put out there. Uh, however... A couple things that you didn't mention that I was looking forward to seeing. I really wanted to see the Clone Wars. I fully expected to see the Clone Wars. I expected that the title of the second film would be, gasp, the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this was a major chunk of, and again, it's not gone into great detail in the original films, but this was a major part of the lore. Um I really thought we were going to spend a lot more time with Darth Vader, you know, as Darth Vader in the suit. Um, the the notion of, you know, him waking up Frankenstein monster style and going, where is Padme? <laughs> uh, something like that never occurred to me. I did not, you know, ever expect something along those lines to occur. Um, but, yeah, I mean... It it was a it was a chance to really kind of round out who this character was and what the world had been like before the Empire. Um, and we got you know we got aspects of that. I think it's fair to say with the films as they exist. Yes, we what we got is another idea or another version of the same starting point that we're coming from. Everybody's going to agree on the same starting point here of this is all a, it's before the movies we saw. So there are certain points that have to be gotten to because they already got a checklist. (laughs) Yeah. There's a checklist of things that have to be gotten to. So everyone is starting in the same scratch off point here. It's just how do you present the things that we know have to happen while also including things that we'd like to happen or to surprise the audience with things that are truly cool and not okay let's just get into it here because we <laughs> we we have episode 1 the phantom menace that's what was created in 1997 released in 1999 we both saw separately mm-hmm. uh when we were in college, we saw midnight showings of it. 
with everyone going freaking out (laughs) going mad like the team just won the world series when the lucasfilm logo pops up on the screen and then all of a sudden that big crash in with the john williams and star wars and the crawl and we're off and this is unbelievable and then we've discussed this many many times is suddenly about 10 minutes into it you're realizing (laughs) something is off yeah something's not right here and and it was one of those things where it's like you know the air was slowly going out of the (laughs) balloon and nobody could quite explain why yes you kept you kept having that uh at least i did that reaction of okay well this this could still this could still change and this is something where you get into kind of the the tone and what kind of audience it is that lucas is trying to reach uh with with the first two original films i think the tone is clear and i think you know kind of the type of audience he's going for is clear you had a shift in both of those with return of the jedi where it was catered towards a younger audience um and i was again kind of going back into the past I, I was hoping or expecting, I guess, without even realizing it, that we were going to reestablish the tone of the first two films of A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. I, I figured we'd be going back into that. It's like, okay, this is, you know, about the fall of the Republic and uh, Anakin turning into Vader and the dark side of the Force and everything like that. Okay, he's not going the kid route on this thing. Yeah, the expectation being episode one, we're going to see everything as it existed. In its glory days. Episode two, we're going to see battling and things, the Republic crumbling. Episode three, we're going to see the Empire rising and Darth Vader is is here to stay. That was the expectation for those three movies. Very, very delineated. Yes. We did not get that. <laughs> With So, I keep saying that, I keep harping on it, yes, it, I personally just have gained a complete disrespect for these three films in the last four or five years, thanks most in part to the Red Letter Media videos on YouTube of uh, dissecting each film in a very comedic way, step by step, and And pulling out the reasons why these ultimately are very disappointing, not good films. Yeah, and if if you're not familiar with the Mr. Plinkett reviews on Red Letter Media, we highly encourage you to go check those out. Yeah, in they, fact, I they would really, say... They really are something special. <laughs> yes, I would recommend probably you watch the movies first, make sure you've yes. seen the movies, then watch those reviews. Each one is about an hour and a half long, so take some time. Then listen to us and see if we can actually pull off making something better. So we get in step step one in making it better. <laughs> know what audience we want to reach, and we're trying to reach an older, more sophisticated audience. Exactly, and the idea being that you don't have to pander to children. the The movies we loved as kids in the eighties did not pander and say we're a kids' film. There was cool stuff that went on. People wanted to be Luke Skywalker. They didn't want to be nine-year-old Anakin. Yeah, so, sorry if you like the poodoo jokes. We didn't. It's gone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but we're not going to go through it like that. We're not going to go and say, here's what we got. Let's ditch it. 
that's one way we we discuss that we discuss saying okay well we could watch the film and say ah get rid of this and put this in instead what we're going to do is we're going to take this from the standpoint of being writers we're blowing up the entire thing and we're going to create our own and we're going to start it from scratch and we we just came up with uh, okay so just brief recap episode one the phantom menace is dealing with space trade and blockades and clunky Senate scenes and random Jar Jar Banks and robots. Yes, and robot armies and a Jedi, Jedi uh, very vague Jedi rules and mythology that don't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and, you know... Obi Wan's being trained by Liam Neeson, and but not really. They're kind of partners, maybe. The they they you've don't... got a prophecy surrounding Anakin, and we learn that the Force is actually generated by bacteria in your blood, and and yeah, and there there is apparently the Dark Lords of the Sith have never have not existed for eons and now suddenly they're coming back and they find Anakin who's a slave who lives with his mother and we discover that it was kind of a virgin birth that created him and Liam Neeson takes him to be trained it's all it's just very very vague and it ends with some sort of awkward battle scene on the planet Naboo with Natalie Portman showing up as a queen for some reason who's like 13 years old it, it, just a lot of things that are a jumbled mess if we're, <laughs> if it, we'll, when we do these and we'll do them one at a time uh, very easily say Phantom Menace of all of them is the biggest jumbled mess it's just a not very good. We're going to get into episode two, we'll get into episode three, and we'll get different opinions here. But I think it's fair to say, again, one of our shared uh, kind of feelings and critiques of all three of these movies and the, probably one of the biggest criticisms we have about it, because uh, you literally kind of see this in, if you ever watch the uh, behind the scenes, the second discs on these DVD sets of these movies, it the first two at least end with Lucas sitting down with a pad of legal paper and a pen and starting to write out uh, the next script. We've always felt like these feel like essentially first drafts of a story. Yes. We're not the first ones who said that, that this, these were just shot first drafts. (laughs) It's like there was no real work put into the story. It was more, I need to get a story down so I can, Push the technology lines, yeah. Because we got to hurry up and get the story done so we can spend all our time on pushing the digital envelope. Everybody wants to see Yoda fight. Come on. Uh, yeah, that's where we're going off the rails with what happened and what we're going to do is we, we're going to focus more on the screenplay and less on get the screenplay done, hurry so we can start working more on the digital effects. He was more interested in f- creating the new digital realm than he was what's the story first so we'll put story first here we just hastily came up with what all Star Wars films need and there is synchronicity to these things and that's good 
is what we were hoping for in May of 1999 when we see Episode One, Star Wars Episode One, and it breaks into the crawl. So here, here we go. Here's what we just hastily threw together about ten minutes ago. <laughs> so Episode One, do 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 do. Star Wars music kicks in, and then it's a time of peace in the Republic. Or I'm sorry, let me. Start. I already screwed it up. Okay. Oh my gosh! I uh, need to start this film again, man. Yes. All right, <laughs> rewind. Boom. A time of peace in the Republic is coming to an end. A host of fallen Jedi are attacking innocent star systems for an unknown sinister plan. A Jedi Knight named Obi-Wan Kenobi has tracked a dark Jedi across the galaxy to the planet Tatooine. Little does he know he's walking into a trap, dot, dot, dot. Jerk. Ooh, the, <laughs> Ooh, the excitement. <laughs> yes. So right away, that puts you in the mindset of what we're coming up with here. Now, we have the story. The the story of the Dark Jedi. And yeah, let's talk about our Dark Jedi a little bit and where this idea comes from. All right, go ahead. All right. And uh, kind of going back into what we were talking about with the uh, introduction of the Sith and the uh, Phantom Menace, it's laid out, the rule is that always there are only two Sith because if there are more than two, they're going to fight among themselves and destroy each other and fight for power. And so they limit their number to two where you've got a master and an apprentice. And so you don't have that problem. It's just a perpetual training cycle. And that's the way that it works. Um, in the second movie, there is a scene uh, down in the library in the Jedi Temple where there's all these busts of these uh, Jedi who have left the Order. And the whole Count Dooku character was supposed to be one of these you know, people who have been trained as a Jedi and left. Um, and they never really ran with that idea, at least not fully. Uh, if you go into some of the books and everything, they'll, especially in the Zahn series, they talk about these like dark Jedi who are running around and everything like that. So we got a little bit of precedent for why exactly we chose to put in multiple uh, kind of bad guys running around at the same time. Uh, but that's where kind of the nugget of the idea for the dark Jedi comes from. Yes. So we open up our version of episode one. As Obi-Wan Kenobi is, because we always have to have the panning down from the scroll going off into the ether, and then we pan down to a planet and spaceships. So what we have is Obi-Wan Kenobi and his little spaceship flying down to Tatooine. And when we get down to Tatooine, we can see that when he lands, he finds an empty spaceship or pod or something where the Dark Jedi he's been chasing is gone, leaving tracks across the sand, poetry in motion as we are connecting ourselves with episode four, uh, with maybe the same spot where 3PO and R2 landed, and hell, the, the dragon that was in bone form, skeleton form in episode four can actually be flying around or something uh, <laughs> as... Obi-Wan lands and he has an opening fight with the dragon and he kills it and that's the skeleton that's at the beginning of episode 4 <laughs> is the dragon is this big reptile or whatever dragon that Obi-Wan killed and then we have Anakin actually living with I guess we said his cousin Owen and 
Yeah, we can keep Kleeg as the sure. father figure in this yeah, if we're gonna have Klieg, new version that's, here. That's uncle to Anakin. Anakin is an orphan. It just makes so much more sense. Anakin's an orphan. And not to mention the big change that we you would notice right off the bat from ours versus Phantom Menace. Our Anakin is maybe 12 years old. He's not an annoying, bratty nine-year-old. There's no need for that whatsoever. <laughs> he needs to be a punk 12-year-old. And, and to be fair, we have also discussed uh, trying to make, and again, not necessarily 12, but trying to make Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Padme closer in age. Yes, yes. So the thought may be Obi-Wan is in his mid-20s at this point. Something like that, or early 20s. There's maybe a, there's maybe like an eight-year difference between them or something. Yeah, so maybe Obi-Wan is around 20, Anakin's around 12, and then we'll... We'll put Padme right in the middle. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have Padme as like 16. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just fine, right in the middle. So the idea being that Anakin is already, we, we can show that Anakin's a bit of a juvenile delinquent, that he's constantly getting in trouble, that he doesn't want to work on Uncle Kleeg's farm, whereas Owen is the responsible one. Um, who's He's looking for shortcuts in life. Yeah. So if we're going for poetry, and I keep bringing that up because... To be fair, George Lucas constantly brought that up in all those extras that you talked about. All the DVD extras, George Lucas constantly talking about, uh, it's like poetry. Uh, it's all like symmetry. We saw it before we see it again. Dumb symmetry that he latched on to. <laughs> can, can you expand on that, please? <laughs> it was always, well, because they had this type of spaceship, now we're going to have this type of spaceship. Uh, so it's like poetry. You know, this shot looked like this, so we have this shot look like this too, even though they're not really connected at all. All right, so you're you're looking for more uh, symmetry with the character developments and relationships rather than random pieces of tech. Yeah, or just shots. Shots. Okay. <laughs> just, here's a shot like it was before. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> so no. All right, we got it. Stop it. <laughs> so the idea being that Anakin is a truant version of what we see Luke being in a very similar style in the beginning of episode four. And that can add, ta-da, weight and gravity to Uncle Owen's character's dialogue in episode four. When he's constantly got Luke under his thumb to stay on board because in our version... Owen is trying to get Luke to be more like what he was as a kid instead of what Anakin was like when he was a kid. And he's got too much of his father in him. That's what I'm afraid of. Exactly, <laughs> because he knew him as a kid, not just some random, hey, Oh, you I'm stopped Owen. by, your mom's dead, you <laughs> took off and left again, well, see ya. <laughs> you threw some shit in my garage and broke some stuff, and then you left after a megalomaniacal rant. See you later. <laughs> Great, nice to meet you. How do you know how he is? We don't know. Well, we're creating a reason why he would know what Anakin was like. Minor, but effective. So, the main storyline here is we've got Obi-Wan chasing a dark Jedi. And 
my opinion, I don't know where you come down on this, is I'm using an idea from the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where we've got the River Phoenix version of Indiana Jones is kind of representative for my idea of what Anakin would be. He, he's maybe a truant down at Moss Eisley or Moss Espa or whatever, hanging out down there when this dark Jedi shows up who's a little bit of a Han Solo-y type, a roguish type, and they... There's, there's no better way. I can't think of a way to say it outside of saying there's kind of an attraction there, but not a not a love attraction, but a that guy's cool. I want to be like him. Kind he's of. got he's got somebody who kind of can pattern himself after to a degree, or is is interested in just because it's just kind of you know somebody different who seems to project more of the attitude and mentality that he would like to. Exactly, yeah. and. If the coolest thing that Anakin and Phantom Menace could see in realizing somebody was a Jedi is that they had a lightsaber on their hip, well, then he sees this dark Jedi has got a lightsaber on his hip. And we can use that and say, oh, this, guy, this guy's got to be cool. And, and somehow, one way or another, Anakin helps this guy out. Uh, when the Dark Jedi is running from authority or, but, or running away from from Obi-Wan, he's, he helps him out somehow. And then ultimately Obi-Wan can show up. There can be some sort of a, a battle, a duel, something like that. And there could be, you know, something catastrophic happens. The buildings start collapsing or something like that to where Anakin can end up saving Obi-Wan's ass ta-da yes <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm hogging everything here but the idea being that it comes down to one shot of solving all sorts of issues that we would have to get over of Anakin was a great pilot uh, he was a good friend. He that that would be the key thing because this friendship that is alluded to <laughs> in the speech that older Obi Wan gives in Episode Four, it's I'm sorry, it's just not there. It's not existing in these prequels. It's just not there. The height of their friendship is them arguing, yeah, and occasionally apologizing to one another. <laughs> so the idea being that Anakin saves Obi Wan's butt. And he gets off a of Tatooine all in one by Obi-Wan's knocked out or injured somehow. And he can't get, he can't escape on his own. So Anakin throws him in a ship and flies him off planet. And Obi-Wan in, is in and out of consciousness, but he shows some sort of affection to the boy of thank you or some sign of thanks to Anakin that makes Anakin feel like he did right. Plus, he can get off this stupid rock known as Tatooine that he's been trying to get away from. So he flies off with Obi-Wan, and here's where we make our major break from the format of the George Lucas version of Star Wars. This can all be a flashback, and now we can fast forward to the future. (laughs) This all doesn't have to happen at one time. This can just all be a flashback, and then we can montage our way through Anakin's training, or we can show him arrive at Coruscant, meeting the other Jedi, 
then start training something along those lines. Yeah, and a couple other things we're ditching along the way here while we're at it. Uh, in our version, there is no prophecy. Mm-hmm. It does not exist. There are no metachlorians. The force is the force. Accept it. Whatever. <laughs> it's yeah. there. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. We we don't need to know anything about it beyond the fact that it's energy that these people can tap into. Done. Yeah. And maybe we should say some of our overarching ideas here before we would continue on any further details. Some of the other ideas we had is our explanation of what the Jedi Order is. Yes, because as they exist right now, they're kind of douchebags. They're kind of douchebags, and they're also very ineffectual, and... They just kind of sit around and go, people bring them reports, and they're like, well, that's interesting. We'll contemplate we'll think that. about that. <laughs> Thanks for saving people. We'll Thanks think about it. People. We'll think about it. <laughs> and we're, yeah, we're not quite sure, are they official cops of the Republic? Or the... I guess from what we garner, what we garner from what we see, they're supposed to be an official branch arm of the Republic. Yeah, they kind of work for the Senate. Yeah. Whereas our idea would be that they are warrior monks who do not start fights. That's their their basic plot. And and going back to Episode Four, the original film. The only line we really get about them was that they were the guardians of peace and justice in the old republic. So they don't have to work for the Senate. Yeah, I, I don't. I think they've existed before the republic existed. They they are their own entity that is on the side of light and good. Just period. It's accepted that they are the side of good and light, who will do what is necessary, and that could come in. To play in our versions of later episode two or three is the fact that there's nothing written down that says this is what the Jedi does, and there could be some conflict that comes in with people who realize who start realizing, you know, we didn't elect these Jedi to be the cops. You know, we don't pay them with public money to to be the policemen of the galaxy. They just are and it's always been accepted on faith that they always will do what's right so there could be a conflict that comes in there later as people start realizing these guys just appointed themselves to be the guardians of peace and justice in the old republic which is kind of one of the things that I believe and again it's hinted at but never really developed that uh, Palpatine kind of has a problem with with the Jedi in the first place is you know their kind of stodgy self-righteousness um, no, again, he's supposed to be, you know, an evil <laughs> megalomaniacal. <laughs> yeah, jackass. You know, jackass, but at the same time, when he's giving that little speech to Anakin, we're in the, they're at the little opera house or whatever it was supposed to be. Um, you know, he's he, he's kind of hinting a little bit at that constantly dropping lines, uh, you know, throughout, especially the beginning half of episode three. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it is it is called out a little bit. Yeah, and that, that leads to the other major thing that is an overarching character arc or story arc in our version is uh, that we have Palpatine on the Jedi Council. 
Yep, he is not hiding out here, folks. Yeah, there's no such thing as here's Palpatine the senator and here's Darth Sidious, some <laughs> guy in a cloak for some reason. It, it makes no sense it at all. looks exactly... Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. And oh, people, oh. And, and Newt Gunray listens to him for some reason. <laughs> for some reason. For, yeah. If you have to explain your your situation with and for some reason, and it doesn't work. So our idea is Palpatine's in the Jedi Order, and he's kind of making it rot from the inside out, and he's he's gonna start to fall because what it ultimately comes down to is we have this idea that. Like you said, there are Jedi who have left the Order, and now, as we pick up steam for our beginning of our Episode 1, Jedi are starting to drop out of the Order more and more and more, and it's starting to show a rot inside the Jedi Order, uh, the, the Republic's starting to rot a little bit. Maybe it's gotten too bloated, too big. It can't do anything because it's just too big. Mm-hmm. So Palpatine is starting to take advantage of that. But he's on the Jedi Council. He works with Yoda. If we're insistent that Samuel L. Jackson has to be in these movies, then Give him something to do. Folks. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of imagine that Yoda is the thinker who sits in the the council chambers and is the president and CEO. And Mace Windu is the kick-ass uh, enforcing vice president type guy where... You know, everybody's got the same level of mental capacity, but Yoda is the thinker. And Mace Windu's the, uh, I'm going to kick ass when I have to, but I'm not going to show it because I'm the really good guy. And then Palpatine can be, uh, you know, Palpatine's got a lot of wickedness to him that comes out. It's almost like he's the, he's the Harvey Dent of our story here. He's, he's a little two-faced. Yeah. And he'll, and he'll, he'll question things. Yeah. Which makes some of the others uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. And he can be the instant vote for bringing Attican into the order when Obi-Wan comes back with him. Or, you know. And there could be a legitimate reason. Instead of there's a prophecy that we're going to train this boy, how about Anakin flies Obi-Wan, who's injured, back to Coruscant. Anakin is now officially 100% an orphan. So he brings Obi-Wan to the Jedi Temple well, where the hell is Anakin going to go from here? They're just going to say, okay, thanks a lot? No, they're going to give him a cot and some food and some water, and he's going to be there and kind of get assimilated that way. Yeah, and what we kind of talked about, and this is something that was never really addressed in the films as they stand now, uh, in the Lucas universe, we'll call it, uh, you've... This can't be the first time they make a big deal in the first movie about, you know, oh, he's too old to be trained. He's too old to be trained. This can't be the first time something like this has happened. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Unless you've got just squads of Jedi whose only job is to run around and find kids who are strong in the force and get to them by a certain time. Um, Yeah, there's going to be tons of these people uh, floating around uh, the galaxy. 
So kind of our out that we're giving ourselves or the way that we kind of, you know, reconcile this is, okay, so you, you come across somebody, you know, who's a little bit older and they're worried about training to, you know, go out and we talked about how they're warrior monks. Okay. Well, maybe for the older people who they're more concerned about as far as, you know, well, given their, their histories and what's happened to them in life, they might have a higher chance of, you know, using their powers for revenge or something bad or something along those lines. It's like, all right, well, why don't we give them kind of a measure of peace in their lives and have them, you know, perform a valuable service on our part? And, you know, why can't they be more healers or, you know, people who uh, sit there and meditate on social problems kind of thing um, and use the force in that way rather than developing any type of warrior skills. So they're still going to be strong in the force. It's just going to be a different direction that their skills take. Yeah, and that's what I would imagine Yoda would be. Yeah. Yeah, Yoda's in charge of those people. Mace is in charge of the more warrior section of them, and Palpatine is the kind of go-between for them all. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when, you know, Anakin comes and everything like that and he's a little bit older, it should be, you know, the argument is that, okay, well, obviously because he's, you know, been through this and, you know, you've you've talked a little bit about kind of his power and everything like that, uh, we'd really be more comfortable if he was taking the more kind of healer, meditative route type of thing. Um, and it could be Palpatine who really pushes for him to go into, you know, more of the warrior route. Yeah, and, and an idea that I just thought of, and if this is a flip of what we were given, is trying to think, I don't know how monasteries work, I don't know how, you know, Shaolin monks or, or anything like that in the Middle Ages would have worked, but just guessing without Wikipediaing it, the thought being that people don't come into this monastery to begin whatever their life is of spiritual healing or training, maybe they don't accept anybody until they're 15, 16 years old, until they're old enough to start realizing what they're doing. And so a flip of this is that Anakin's 12 years old, so instead of him, no, he's too old to be trained, now it can be, uh, he might be a little too young, but he seems to have some talent. So you, you just because you got force sensitivity, you don't get drafted in anymore. Yeah, you're oh, you're you're half a year old. Well, you're drafted in, and 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 you can never get married. Good luck. Yeah, and that lends a little more credence to when Luke was trained and uh, by Yoda and by Ben. Is okay. He was nineteen or twenty, so he's just a little bit older than when they would normally get him. Right, but he was just trained. So the thought being, you're 15, you're 16, or you get to write a passage, you get to go to the monastery and train to be a Jedi Knight or or just a Jedi monk, whatever it is. And the thought being that Obi-Wan was saved by Anakin, so he kind of sweet-talks his way into the council to say, well, the boy will stay and I, I will train him. Even though he's a little young to be here, he does have inherent powers in the Force. So he's even though he's younger than what we normally bring in, and that could make Anakin stand out a little bit with other Jedi, is that he would now live with. Because that's another thing we'll show in our version. Life in the Jedi Temple. You know, training Anakin. What's the day-to-day life like there? 
And maybe Anakin stands out just because he's a lot younger than everyone else he's been thrown in with. He's the youngest one there. But he, it's almost like having a baseball team full of 25-year-olds, but the best player on the team who was just brought up is 19. <laughs> how's that, how's that going to work when you're traveling around with these guys? So that that's the thought that goes behind it. And we can see... Obi-Wan training Anakin and the formation of an actual friendship with some which, hints which is, here and there of Anakin's temper. Yeah, and I, that friendship is supposed to be, you know, central to who these characters are and, you know, the tragedy that ultimately plays out between them. Uh, you don't get that right now. No, not at all. So the idea of being training from that young, straight up, uh, like is said in the red letter media, the characters of Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi should have been combined to form one character named Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need anybody else. And and this also was spending a little time at the temple and with also having Palpatine there as a viable force uh, who people listen to. Uh, you know, for who he is and the fact that he does know force things. So, uh, you know, it's not this weird, I'm going to basically tell you that I'm a dark Lord of the Sith. And for some reason, you're going to be real slow in figuring this out, (laughs) (laughs) which just makes Anakin look dumb. (laughs) Um, You know, Palpatine can also, along with Obi-Wan, start having some early influence on this guy with some training as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Obi-Wan could be more of the the thinker, but he's got some skills as a, as a, as a warrior knight. But he's... Again, was I any different when you trained me, Yoda? Which we never saw... Yoda training Obi-Wan. Oh, well, come on. They stood around in that room and talked for awkward, half a minute. Awkwardly moved little lightsabers around with the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's training. That's. Folks. Oh, God. Okay. So the thought being that Obi-Wan is more of the thinker. He's constantly telling Anakin to calm down. He's never telling him this weapon is your life. He's saying, calm you you know think through it th- reach out with your feelings that kind of thing that he's going to say with Luke but on the flip side palpatine is training anakin to use more of the warrior side to use more of his aggression um to the idea being that the jedi in our version never ever ever pick a fight jedi is only in defense but Palpatine just barely toes that line of being an offense, w- offensive warrior. He, everything's in defense, but it's very, very aggressive defense. Okay, I think it's time to come back to our Dark Jedi since we threw them out there <laughs> at the beginning of this. Okay, sure. We, we need to tie them back in here with uh, good old Palpatine. Yeah. The, uh, Palpatine is responsible for sending these people out on missions. Um, he has his own agenda at this point. So again, kind of following the model that's in place as far as uh, the role that that character played in kind of the downfall of the Republic and everything like that. That's still here. That's still in motion. It's just um, different. He's, 
it's just different, you know. Um, but he is sending these dark Jedi out to uh, kind of on on multiple missions. It's kind of working on a couple of different levels. First of all, um, he is trying to have them sow some seeds of discord. So you've got all these various planetary systems with long histories and everything like that. And they're going out there and, you know, causing incidents and making it appear as if, you know, this group or that group could be responsible, which is raising the tension level locally. Uh, we, unlike in the Phantom Menace and beyond, there is no big debate about, you know, raising a grand army of the Republic. They've already got an army. Yeah. There's <laughs> no reason why they would not have any kind of army, folks. Yeah, there's an army. They wear stormtrooper gear, but not with full masks, maybe. They're just, there's an army. There's a navy. There's. The infrastructure is there. Yeah. It's it's different than when, you know, the Empire rises and runs it, but it does exist. Um, and as these, you know, smaller incidents keep gaining momentum, they're becoming more and more stretched. Um, you know, it's like putting out brush fires everywhere. Um, and, you know, it's it is starting to take a bit of a toll. That's also part of Palpatine's plan. Uh, something else that he's working on. Do we want to get into the whole cloning thing? Yeah, because everything that the prequels are based on, there's there's ancillary books that came out. Yeah, true. There's ancillary comic books or whatever else came out. But really what we boil it down to is in Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, there's maybe nine, ten lines of dialogue that mention things that happened before. Mm -hmm. You know, Anakin was a Jedi Knight, like, you know, I was a Jedi Knight like your father. He was a good... Oh, and he was a good friend. He was a good friend. He was the best star pilot in the galaxy. I fought in the Clone Wars along with your father. Um, You know, he's got so much of his father in him, that's what I'm afraid of. Broad strokes. Very, very broad strokes that open up the door to so much incredible potential. And we're just trying to tap into the potential in the best way possible. So one of the things he brought up, you fought in the Clone Wars. Boom. That's all that was ever said. Yet, that, well, let me, that's all that was ever said which means that it's completely open to any type of interpretation whatsoever. And our opinion is, <laughs> this is the opinion only of hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> that the clones are just some random army that was created of a bunch of Django Fets for some purpose to just sit and wait for <laughs> be hired as an no, it does no, it doesn't work at all. Uh, in, in episodes four, five, and six, the stormtroopers are different height. They all talk differently. They're just the guys who joined up in the army, is what we assumed. So there's well, no reason and, to think that they're a bunch of clones. And and dusting off my Star Wars geek badge, um, you know, kind kind of the going backstory with that, the way that that was always explained when those, you know early films were coming out and everything people were like well what's underneath the masks are they are they people are they robots what are they 
And, you know, this idea of clones is a fairly recent one uh, brought up primarily with the prequels. This isn't something where it was like a hard and fast, like, oh, we got to we got to make them clones. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, main kind of explanation was basically that, OK, well, these are kind of the super soldiers of their time. They're the most fanatical, most dedicated. And so it was like a badge of honor to be able to wear the storm stormtrooper armor. Mm hmm. Um, and they went through the most intense training and you had all these specialized types of units and uh, equipment and everything like that for the different environments that they fought in. And that was it. Yes. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, well, we had these cloning facilities where we grew all these troops. And... Yeah. So that brings us full circle back to our idea, stemming a little bit from the Timothy Zahn books, the what we call episodes seven, eight, and nine, where in those books, and I don't remember them because it's been so long since I read them, I don't remember the great details, but there was something along the lines of, if you're saying this is episode seven, eight, and nine, and Palpatine was thrown down a pit in episode six at the end, well, then that means that how does he come back? He had a stable of clones that uh, he jumped his dark spirit into. Uh, to, and there is a book, continue. and I forget the title of it, where that does happen. Yeah, or somewhere, yeah, somewhere in those lines, Palpatine comes back as he's a clone. And our thought, taking that but running with it in a little bit of a different direction, is Palpatine's on the Jedi Council. He has his nefarious ideas of wanting to bring down the Jedi's uh, because he doesn't agree with them anymore, or he's just trying to bring them. In. He he wants more of the dark, powerful side, and he has a lot of disagreements with Yoda. If we're thinking that Yoda's the more thinker side and Palpatine's the more aggressive side, well, Palpatine is starting to want to create his own Jedi order of using more of the aggression and the dark side and the warrior side. So he's having all these... He's kind of manipulating and brainwashing a lot of these Jedi to drop out of the order and to go and create the shitstorm, but also the idea we had the actual tasks maybe the MacGuffin of the film if you will, is that he's having these dark Jedi going and killing certain Jedi that Palpatine is targeting in order to take a piece of their DNA to a cloning facility as he is trying to create either perpetual life for himself or the his own, you know, dark Jedi knights that he can create his own order of of dark Jedi by cloning them. And that was the idea. If you can't beat them, replace them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and That's basically what's going on. And maybe he's having difficulty and that they're not they're not coming out with abilities of the force. They're just coming out with a lot of dark attitudes, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of bad attitude clones. <laughs> they don't have... just cloning jerks. <laughs> but they I don't created have... the jerk store. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he's he's constantly trying to pinpoint different Jedi to get their DNA, and the conflict that comes out of this is that in order to get whatever he needs to get from these Jedi knights to use for cloning it's ultimately always kills the Jedi Knight that he gets it from and 
this could be the only, if we have to say, satisfy that need of learning more about the force instead of saying midichlorians and bacteria we're just going into in a very generalized sense saying well there's some sort of force ability innate in particular people that makes them Jedi Knights so Palpatine's trying to figure that out in order to try and clone it so we don't have to say, I need to get your midi-chlorian count high so I can create... No, he's just... This Jedi can do this particular ability, so kill him, take his DNA. Let's see if we can make a clone with an actual force power. Nope, didn't work. Let's try another one. Yep, it's an inexact science at this point. Yeah, so that's why it can be more logical that he's not just sitting here saying, okay, in in ten years... Uh, this young Jedi is going to come up and he's going to cause all sorts of problems and we'll be able to have an army. He's not the ultimate prognosticator. <laughs> he, he, does not, he's not, he didn't sit in a crystal ball 20 years ago and decide, eh, this is exactly what has to happen and it's exactly going to happen that way. No. He, he is trying to keep his front, his fake front up of still being a part of the Jedi Council and the reason that he hasn't just gone ahead and eliminated everybody yet is because his backup plan has not worked yet. Yeah, and he's also got these dark Jedi running around and looking for some tech that's going to help his problem as well. So they're, you know, murdering scientists or kidnapping them and that type of thing too. So people are disappearing and, again, it's just causing more and more chaos and distrust. And um, it it gives our heroes something to be on their toes about. It's not just kind of like... Huh. Well, that guy with the painted face with all the tattoos and the horns was kind of evil. I wonder who he was. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it also causes the conflict within the political realm, if we're going to have the political realm here, Mm -hmm. going back to that idea of the Jedi just being this order that exists and taken for granted. Well, these stories can start cropping up from all over the galaxy that these Essentially, these Jedi Knights are going and causing shit and killing people. So these leaks are coming in from across the galaxy, and we could maybe see a senatorial scene where there's, uh, you know, we just got word that in some far distant star system, a Jedi Knight came in and killed everyone, and the Jedi Council has to stand up and say, no, 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 this is... That, that guy left our order. He's not one of us. We No, we don't trust you! And so they can start breaking the public trust of the Jedi Knights because these dark Jedi are are screwing them over. So Palpatine's not only screwing them over by killing them one by one, but he's also screwing them over by the public opinion being swayed against them. I shall give you really bad PR. That is how you shall fall. Exactly. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> that works. So yeah, they've got they've got their hands full. Yeah. So what we have here is we have three kind of story through lines. We have the A story, which is the surface story is of Palpatine's dark Jedi and bringing down the Jedi Knights and these dark Jedi are causing conflicts throughout the galaxy and our idea being that the one particular conflict we're going to focus on for this version of the story is a dark Jedi attacks the very peaceful planet known as Alderaan. Ding, ding, ding. Symmetry coming in again. 
So the A story is that. The B story is young Anakin Skywalker is brought in by Obi-Wan Kenobi and is being trained as a Jedi, and he's had his montage, and now he's a little bit older. So we're going to see now that Obi-Wan is now 24, 25. Anakin is now maybe 16, 17 years old. He's still younger than a lot of guys he's with. He's been in the Order long enough that people who are brand new to the order or 15 or 16, whereas he's been around for four or five years. So he starts teaching them some shit uh, because he's not the greatest egg. So that's the B story is Anakin's training and, and fighting with Obi-Wan and going off the C story. Here's where we bring in the C story with Miss Portman <laughs> Natalie pa- Natalie Padme Natalie Padme will show up <laughs> and the way we have that happening is that there is a, an attack by these dark Jedi on Alderaan and Bail Organa, good old Jimmy Smith is going to show up and he's going to come to the Jedi Council with asking for help because in his explanation the Senate has gotten too big to do anything. He can't ask them to use the Republic Army uh, to go save Alderaan for some reason. I, well, we can figure that out. It's not important. <laughs> One thing leads to another. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the idea being that Padme works for Senator Organa's office. I mean, if we're if we're using the Senate, the phrase the Senate, then we're obviously correlating it like Lucas did. He's correlating it to either Rome or to our modern American Senate. Well, you have a hundred senators, but in the Senate office building, you have thousands of people who work there. That's because each senator has their own office of people who work for him. So Padme is just one of Organa's. She's one of Organa's interns. And she could maybe be his liaison to the to the Jedi. So she comes with him when Organa comes to ask Yoda for help. And Yoda and Palpatine and Mace suggested Obi-Wan and Anakin and maybe a couple of other Jedi knights uh, are to go and uh, try and solve whatever problem there is on Alderaan. And that's where Anakin and Padmadala Portman meet here. (laughs) (laughs) Natalie Natalie May can meet. And so it could be, hey, look, there's two horny adolescent teenagers who aren't going to fall deeply, madly in love. No, they're going to have a teenage fling because they're going to fly to Alderaan, and and what we saw in the original trilogy is that takes time to fly somewhere. Yeah, and and we were even talking about, you know, depending on what exactly is involved with this attack, it, it could involve, you know, someone or something being taken from her family, and if we wanted to kind of play with that whole well, we're going to kind of keep you on the sidelines things. Maybe they go off to, like, one of the far moons of Alderaan called Naboo. Yes. yes. <laughs> and they spend some time together there, and that's where this fling kind of happens. Yeah, or the other idea being that once they get to Alderaan, they're attacked. Their their landing party is attacked, and Anakin and Padme end up separated from the group. Mm-hmm. So completely alone. 
by themselves, they get separated and there's some sort of battle or for some reason they're, they're, they're kept away from the other group and that's where they get together is they're, they're stuck together basically. And yeah. And we, we've had her serving as kind of a liaison into the Senate and everything like that. So she has interacted with Obi-Wan in the past. So there's kind of already an established rapport there. Yeah. Yeah, and it can't. It doesn't even have to be much more than, no. yeah. uh, you know, Padme's been an intern for Bail Organa for six months, and Obi Wan's known her for six months, and Anakin just met her. <laughs> it's something as simple as that. Yeah, very straightforward. So they can have a fling. There can be whatever battle needs to occur on Alderaan. Uh, some major revolution re- revelation can come up that obi-wan finds uh, a dark jedi was somebody he knew in the jedi order so for the first time obi-wan kenobi sees one of these dark jedi up close and it's somebody he trained with or qui-gon drinking <laughs> yes yes there we go the dark jedi can be qui-gon Jin. there you go <laughs> and it's somebody that he trained with it wasn't his mentor it was just somebody he trained with he had high respect for who yeah. caused problem. And that that leads us towards the end where um Anakin or uh, Obi-Wan comes back and reports that they okay there's a there's an issue here and we can even have since this is a singular episode, a singular film, uh Anakin saves the day by using his magical flying powers, flying a ship or something, and there could be some space battle uh, with... uh, There's suddenly a small army of these dark Jedi uh, who have a big ship or something that they're getting ready to take over Alderaan. Yeah, and he can, can, um, you know, obviously he's using the training that Obi-Wan gave him, but he also in the course of this being, you know, his first big mission and everything like that, he does use some of the mindset and aggressiveness that Palpatine has also been fostering in him. Um, And we've talked about this. Anakin doesn't magically get, you know, (laughs) at at the end of our our third episode, get his arm and legs taken off and, one and big, burned and a big cut all in one shot big cut all, all at the same time and then gets all you know doctored up into the suit and everything like that it's an evolutionary process with the character and it starts here yeah and george did some of that with chopping his arm off he did he but did. that was it where, where our idea is we want to have him slowly but surely getting the crap beat out of him as a physical metaphor for where his mental state is going is that he is losing more and more body parts. As we get into the clone wars, he's losing more and more. Yeah. He's steadily becoming the mechanized man. And, and it's a very delineated reasoning because he's following Palpatine's teachings more than he is Obi-Wan and Yoda's teachings. Instead of following the, the think it through method he's more of the aggressiveness method because it's more in line with his nature mm-hmm. and that aggressiveness is constantly getting pieces of his body chipped away I mean if we're talking these are classical stories that's a very blatant metaphor 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lose an arm. He lost his ear. Uh-oh, there goes a foot. So by the third movie, the final battle with Obi-Wan, all that has to happen is he has to lose the ability to breathe on his own. <laughs> he should already be pretty much mechanized by that Yeah, and, and Padme should, as he becomes less and less human in a sense, uh, she should become increasingly, you know, scared about being around this guy. Yeah, there should be no reason why they have to get married at all. Nope. This is a teenager fling and what happens in our world when there's a random teenager fling she gets knocked up that's all that has to happen <laughs> is they had a, a summer fling on Alderaan in the middle of a battle and she gets knocked up or not even there it's just Anakin saves the day somehow they they fight off the dark Jedi at the end yeah and they, they can back. have a bit of a relationship but like you're saying it doesn't have to result in them wanting to get married no it's um, not a grand romeo and juliet relationship it is yeah. a uh it, it is it is something that will lend credence to carrie fisher's line reading in return of the jedi where it's i have images of my mother she was very beautiful but very sad the, the idea being she just got caught up in some shit not mm -hmm. this was the love of my life who turned dark and evil. No, she oh, but just, I know there's still good in him. Ooh. No, she was like 18, 19 years old, got knocked up, and all in the span of this little amount of time, her, her life got completely turned upside down and she dies. So, so that's the idea, and and she could, and she doesn't need Anakin. Anakin needs her more. Anakin is mm -hmm. completely smitten, and he he's making her kind of his iconography for. The, that ultimate put on a pedestal thing, and she's just like, oh, well, yeah, you're okay. We had our moments. I'm pregnant. I'm kind of screwed. I don't know what to do. Yeah, and part of it is, you know, in her turning to Obi-Wan as a friend and, you know, fearing kind of what Anakin is turning into, um, that leads some credence to the tension between them as well. And so the completely out of left field. Oh, I'm jealous of Obi-Wan because he's after you in episode three, which right now reads like, what? What? Because <laughs> that's not set up at all no. in the previous two films. Um, yeah, so, you know, you've got more of a flow uh, with all of that Yeah, going into the later two films in our little <laughs> series here. Okay, so we have episode one. We're coming to an end. The big battle could be that the Dark Jedi have some big grand plan to uh, make their home base Alderaan or uh, something like that. They're, or they're near Alderaan, and that's just where they end up. Their ship breaks down or something, and, and so there's a battle within there. Anakin saves the day. Obi-Wan helps, and the kind of celebration moment on Coruscant can be Anakin is hurt Anakin lost a hand something like that he gets a mechanical hand a lot like Luke Luke's scene in Empire where he gets the mechanical hand he can already have it starting here and then he and Padme team up you know with a, a wink and a smile at the end and that's the end of episode one of Star Wars, with the idea being that episode two will begin with a couple of very specific points we thought out of um, 
you know, maybe that uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin took one of these dark Jedi prisoner, so they're holding him prisoner in the Jedi temple, trying to get some information out of him, and Palpatine can find a way to to to, to kill this dark Jedi before he's able to, to talk, and also that episode two will begin with an R2-D2 pregnancy test for Padme. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say, uh, you're pregnant. <laughs> How many Wookiee heads are on the stick? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think that brings us to the end of episode one. Hopefully yes. it, it gives some people ideas of thinking here that all we want to do is make a movie that we all wanted to see and that we were all hoping for. Yeah, so diff- different visions of you know the same kind of overall storyline and material. So yes, not pandering it to children. <laughs> and I think what we should mention is we do have lots of lots of ideas of what should have happened with what we actually got. So stepping out of our reboot here and going back into the actual Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, we have lots of different ideas of. If those were what we had to have been given, just little things that could have been changed to make what we got better. <laughs> to make us care about the character. And there's lots of little sequences there. I mean, we can throw in one right now that I know of that we just talked about was in episode three. Anakin's all pissy at Obi-Wan, and he force chokes Padme. All you got to do right there is put a scene of Padme's feet leaving the ground boom, you have instant uh, credibility that he has actually cracked her windpipe and not a little bit of a tickle on her throat and she passes out for some reason. Yeah, and I'd probably just take it to the next level. <laughs> I'd just have her ki- have him kill her. Kill her right there, yeah. Yeah. And the um, kids have to be taken out. Right. That and gives Obi-Wan a, a, a ticking time bomb clock. He's got to get the kids out. And then you've got a reason for him being so hateful and angry for all of those years. It's not just at the Jedi and circumstances. And from my point of view, the Jedi—it's—it's <laughs> it's, no. Anakin, I, don't say such a stupid I, line. I, right I now. loathe myself. <laughs> and you know, Luke coming along and saying, "I see something good in you." Still, I mean, that carries a heck of a lot more weight then. Uh huh. Especially if, you know, he finds out what it was that Anakin did to really get him there, if if he takes that step. Because, um, yeah, as it, <laughs> as it is now, I'm sorry. <laughs> it, no, there's no reason to apologize. It's uh, there's good. just goofy speeches and choreographed fighting and... No drama. No drama. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Iris out. We have uh, episode one, the <laughs> farts on fire. <laughs> episode one, Star Wars, farts on fire. Uh, well, we'll let you guys come up with a good title for it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I think we're officially irising out of this one, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll catch ourselves hindsighting something else down the road. Maybe it'll be episode two. Or maybe it'll be some other grand story of the Republic. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Catch you later.
Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. At last, we get to the big dumb ending where we see the excitement and the passion that thousands of computer animators have for getting paycheck. Okay, but... Ah!